Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are into our fifth week of a series walking through the gospel according to Mark. And if you followed along with us, you'll know that Mark presents Jesus as not just savior, not just friend or teacher, but as king, a king who demands authority over heaven and earth. And as we walk through the book of Mark, we see Jesus' authority on display, casting out demons, healing the sick, performing miracles. But as we walk through Mark and as we turn in the middle of the book of Mark in chapter 8, we begin to see what that King Jesus does with his authority. And rather than use it as power, he lays it down in submission and suffering. And so for us who may know Jesus and the story of Christianity for 2,000 years, that may not be a surprise. But as you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll see those who are experiencing Jesus and those who are hearing this story are in shock and awe and outrage at a coming king who would choose not to take power in his own hands, but to lay it down. And we're going to look at that today and what that means for us. And we're going to talk a little bit today about suffering, not necessarily suffering from forces of this world, but internal self-denial. And this may not surprise you as you watch me in these videos and you see my physique, but when I was seven years old, I took karate. I took karate for two years from seven to nine and never again after that. And actually it was an adorable experience because my father and I did karate together. We took it through the same uh, dojo in Hamilton and there was one in Ewing and I was with the younger kids. My dad was older, um, obviously, and trained with the adults. And one of the things both of us learned in our classes is something that um, our instructor would teach us about our posture and about the way we laid our feet down onto the ground. And he would talk about being rooted and how we were rooted in our posture. And he would use two illustrations, either like a tomato with soft, shallow roots that could be pushed over or pulled up easily, or like an oak tree whose roots went down deep into the soil to retrieve water. And it's a lot harder to turn over an oak tree than it is a tomato plant. And he would often ask us, are you tomato or are you oak? Can I push you over or not? And then he would literally push us over. And if we were rooted the right way, we could maybe withstand it. I was seven, so I wasn't very good at it in the first place. And he would ask us, what are we rooted in and how do we see our body connected down? As we look at the Gospel of Mark, we are looking at Jesus challenging us and asking us the question of what we are rooted in. Are we rooted in the trust of this world? And whether we suffer or have um, ease of comfort in this world, does God give us the things we want on earth, the stuff, the people, the pleasure? Or are we rooted in a higher, deeper, longer calling towards an eternal kingdom that Jesus reigns over? And this is the question and pivot in Mark chapter 8. Until this point, people have seen Jesus give them physical things. He's healed them. He's cast demons out of their bodies. He's fed them. He's performed miracles in front of them. And now in this moment, he begins to turn that. As you see, I have authority over this earth. I am now going to tell you what I will do with that authority. I will lay it down for the sake of a deeper, longer, eternal kingdom. And he begs the question for us, what do we want out of King Jesus? Do we want this physical earth? Or do we want something deeper and more eternal, built by love and existing eternally in joy for our souls? 
Let's look at Jesus teaching on this in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 verses 27 through 33. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were going along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? It's kind of a loaded, baited question. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, now he's pressing, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Yes, Peter begins to correct Jesus. Jesus turns around and looked at his disciples, not just Peter, all of them, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. What's going on in this passage? Why are we choosing this passage over the much more famous and popular passage in the beginning of Mark 8 of Jesus feeding 4,000 people? It's in this section of the book, and most scholars agree, that it's actually this verse, Mark chapter 8, verse 27, that is the turning point of the Gospel of Mark. It is the tonal shift, both theologically and emotionally, of what is happening in Jesus' life. Leading to this point in Mark, Mark is convincing us that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the universe. And we have awesome statements of people being impressed by him and in all of him, all the way through chapter 1 and 8. Things like Mark 1.28, his fame spread everywhere. Mark 2.12, they were all amazed. Mark 5.20, everyone marveled. Mark 5.42, Onlookers were immediately overcome with amazement. Mark 6:51, the disciples were utterly astounded. And Mark 7:37, the crowds were astonished beyond measure. These are powerful phrases of people impressed by a powerful man. And halfway through reading the Gospel of Mark, you should be convinced that Jesus is someone with authority that Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is a miracle worker with power and authority over this world. At this point, you should be convinced by the gospel author, Jesus, as he's presenting them, is the coming king. But now starting here, we see the king pivot and Jesus begins to reveal that he's not the type of king we are used to. It's here that he begins a pattern of predicting his suffering and death, followed by resurrection, that all of this awaits him, explaining such humiliation followed by exaltation is also the journey of all who follow him. Now, this is a little harder now to follow along with. This is a challenge for his disciples. Follow a guy win after win, power after power, authority after authority. Yeah, I'm in for that. Follow a guy who's now telling me he's going to suffer, die, and then rise from the dead, and my calling is to suffer and die and rise from the dead, this is now a different thing I didn't necessarily sign on to. 
In verse 29 here in particular, he presses his disciples for personal recognition of who Jesus is. Peter correctly assesses. You are the Messiah. And in Matthew, actually, Jesus uh, effusively celebrates, God has given you this answer. But it's incomplete. And Jesus follows it by saying, don't tell anybody this. Jesus is king, and we're all to follow this right king, because with this king comes spoils. But not all of us want to follow a suffering king. Let's look at verse 31. And let's talk about Jesus as a suffering king. Verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. We could break down these three pieces of elders, priests, and religious teachers, but we're going to look at the larger concept of Jesus' suffering. This verse actually begins a pattern of three rotations, they say, three rotations of Jesus teaching about his suffering and death. Here in Mark 8.31, and then again in Mark 9.31, and then lastly in Mark 10.33 and 34, each of these explicitly he teaches about his suffering and death. And this is a revolutionary pivot in the Gospel of Mark. This is why there's a concept called the messianic secret in the Gospel of Mark. And it only exists from chapters 1 to 8. And it's every time Jesus would perform a miracle, anytime he would do something amazing, and somebody would be, you know, so overwhelmed by it, they want to tell people, and Jesus would be like, shh, don't tell anybody. He basically shushed them and tell them, you can't, can't tell, don't tell anyone about this. Don't share about this story to anybody. They always did, as you see. But he would tell them not to share about him being the Messiah or the coming king. Why? Why would Jesus keep this a secret? One of the main ideas is Jesus as conquering king only is an incomplete representation of who he is. And Jesus doesn't want it known just that he's a powerful king with authority. The full story is he is a powerful king with authority who willingly lays it down to suffer in the place of his people. And he receives his glory, not through authority and power, but through submission and self-sacrificing death. And he tells people, don't just tell them about my glory. Don't just tell them about my power. They need to know the full story that in my story is the laying down of that power. And in my story is the picking up of the cup of suffering for your sin and your shame. The story of Jesus is not just win after win. The story of Jesus is suffering and death so that we could receive forgiveness and resurrection. What they want in the Gospel of Mark and what we see Peter correcting Jesus over, and if we're honest, the temptation of what we want is a king who would replace another king and just give us power. What we want is to have the power over this earth, the power over the influence of others around us, the power over the wealth around us. And that's what they wanted Jesus to be. That was the concept of the Messiah. It was a Jewish man who would rise up, lead the people to destroy all of their conquering enemies and establish Israel as the dominant power in the world again. And so, of course, that meant if you were a person of Jewish descent, the Messiah comes, you're going to get rich. You're going to get powerful. You're going to get influence in this world. And if you're one of the 12 that's following this Messiah, 
You're going to be high authority. You're going to be a ruler over this earth. And this is what the disciples thought. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to get all the spoils of this earth. I'm going to get power and authority in this earth. This is why Jesus prefers not the title of Messiah in the Gospel of Mark, but of Son of Man. A reference, as we've already taught in this series, to Daniel chapter 7 is the story of a heavenly man who comes to conquer spiritual forces. He's like, I'm not just the Messiah coming in a physical world. I am the Son of Man, both physical and spiritual, with authority to rule and set free this whole place. King Jesus defeats power by giving up power. King Jesus defeats death by dying. King Jesus defeats fear and shame with self-sacrificing love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. This is one of the disciples following Jesus later, um, later in life, his writing and reflection on who Jesus was and is. He writes of Jesus. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. This is the turn. He's not King Jesus who's going to fight power with power. He is good King Jesus who fights power with loving submission. He doesn't come to force it with his fist. He comes to embrace it with his heart. And the buildup of King Jesus in Mark 1 through 8 is to show us how powerful Jesus is so that when we see the suffering and death of Jesus, we know it's not because he couldn't save himself. It's not because he didn't have the authority or power. The gospel writer in Matthew even says that Jesus declared, if I wanted to, I could call down an entire legion of angels to come and set me free and take this by force. But it is not the way of Jesus to take by force and to use might. And so Peter comes up to Jesus, hears about this, and this is earth shattering for the disciples. So Peter lovingly takes Jesus aside and he says, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, that's not going to happen, bro. We're with you. I'm with you. You are not going to suffer. Don't think like that, Jesus. You got to be more positive, man. You're getting dark. Man. I, the pressure's getting to you, but you're, that's not going to happen. We're going to conquer this, man, and we're going to have all the power of this earth. And you're not going to die. You're going to win. They're going to die. We will conquer. Peter pulls him aside and tries to draw him back to the idea of what a earthly Messiah should be. I don't want you to suffer, Jesus, because I want you to triumph over our enemies. I don't want you to suffer because I want to win and I'm on your team. I've hitched my wagon to you, Jesus, and don't let me down in this. And as Jesus responds to Peter, he's not calling Peter Satan, but he's saying, Peter, the idea you're presenting is the same idea that Satan himself offered me. We see this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus moves into the desert. And Matthew, in his writing, gives us a fuller picture of what happened. And in that story, Satan offers him what Peter is challenging him here. He says, Jesus, you don't have to suffer. You can just claim the authority of this earth. And what I'll give you is all the wealth and power of this earth. If you just lay down your suffering and take it up in power. And this leads 
to the ultimate danger of teaching a Jesus who doesn't suffer. And there are Christian traditions that emphasize this, that Jesus never truly suffered because he was God in flesh who couldn't suffer, who couldn't be humiliated, who couldn't be embarrassed, who couldn't die. No way we serve a God like that. You miss entirely the picture of who Jesus was and is, and you miss the depth of the beauty of what he did and what he still does today. A Jesus who doesn't suffer is a Jesus who is more of the same that we have seen in this world for all of history. A Jesus without suffering is another conquering king ruling by power and oppression. He is just a stronger man than the other strong man. He is another king who has conquered land by using the rules of this earth, power, manipulation, oppression, coercion. We've seen this story. We've lived this story. Many of us are still living this story in our earthly circumstances. A Jesus who doesn't suffer is more of the same. Second, a Jesus who doesn't suffer can't offer us anything more than the material possessions and power of this earth. A Jesus who claims this earthly power can only offer us this earthly power. And I'll be honest with you, many Christians and many of us settle for that theology. We settle for that idea. I want a Jesus that's going to give me earthly possessions and wealth. I want a Jesus that's going to empower me to be a conqueror over this earth. I want a Jesus that's going to make me rich. I want a Jesus that's going to make me healthy. I want a Jesus who's going to give me authority and power and favor. I want a Jesus who's going to bless me in this earthly life. And I get it. That's tantalizing. It's tempting. And it's what Jesus rejects. Jesus says, I don't take up the earthly possessions and power and material wealth, and I don't call you to that idolatry either. We struggle to allow the death of Jesus in his suffering, even in one night on Good Friday. We struggle to rush through it and get to Easter and celebrate because the suffering of Jesus, the suffering of our own lives is hard to deal with and it's uncomfortable. And we want Jesus just to wipe it away. And Jesus says, no, this is the way to eternal joy. This is the way to eternal glory and healing forever is to accept that in this temporary life, there will be suffering. In fact, a suffering Jesus is different from any other king who has ever ruled because Jesus fights power with loving submission. And because of that, he conquers not just earthly powers, but he digs down deep into the roots and foundations of this earth, into the foundations of our soul, and he conquers spiritual, eternal death as well. A Jesus who doesn't suffer can conquer this flesh, but a Jesus who suffers can conquer our souls and eternity. And so Jesus turns this question around. He is Jesus who suffers, Jesus who goes to the cross, who places the sins of this world onto himself and dies in our place as an offering for our sin and shame. Then he turns around and he says, can you follow that? Can you follow in this pattern? He literally asks in another later chapter, can you drink the cup of suffering that I will drink? Can you walk the road of suffering that I will walk? And the disciples foolishly say, yes, of course we can not realizing what that would cost. And so let's ask ourselves this question. In light of a suffering king, can we be followers who suffer? 
Can we be suffering followers? Each of Jesus' teaching about his impending suffering and death is followed by a teaching on what true discipleship looks like, what a true follower of Jesus looks like. They are people who deny themselves, receive persecution, and respond with self-denying love. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, a few chapters forward, says, Jesus speaks, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. It's different than what you think of as a conquering king. And it's relevant to the readers of Mark at the time. It's relevant to the people sharing this story of Jesus at the time because they were people suffering for this story, suffering for the gospel of Mark, his account of Jesus. They are being actively persecuted by the kingdom of Rome. They are being actively persecuted by their fellow Jews and Israelites. They're being persecuted, hunted, killed, slandered, removed from industry, they are suffering for their belief. And so when they read this in Mark, they would say, of course, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm living. As we read this story, there is a distinct understanding that we are not. We are not suffering in the way that the early Christians were. We are not suffering in the way that 10 out of the 12 disciples lived their life following Jesus' death and resurrection. We're not, as much as sometimes we would like to be, if we're not living in Syria or China or a persecuted nation around the world where our lives are literally at risk, we cannot relate to the experience of the early church readers of this story. So what does that mean for suffering? It's unlikely we will receive grave suffering externally from power forces over us. But it means that Jesus' words in the end of Mark are even more relevant. Our suffering is voluntary. Our suffering is self-imposed through self-denial, through generosity of others, through living with less, through prioritizing the needs and wants and desires of other people, by living with less and prioritizing others over ourselves. We suffer in this world through self-denial by loving God's people above our own wants and desires because that is what Christ did for us on the cross. We live a life of suffering through self-denial. Jesus lays the model out for us very clearly and the gospel writer of Mark shows us step by step the model of how to live our lives as followers of Jesus. Trust in the loving eternal plan of our creator. Trust that God is good and that he has authority in your life and a plan for you eternally beyond this fleshly body. Understand that you are more than just flesh. You have eternity in your destiny. And that means what happens to me in these 30 or 80 years of life are not as important as what happens in my eternity. And so I can take my fleshly life and turn it towards a mission of what Christ desires. Second, lay down our advantages and power in this temporary life. Lay it down. Lay it down for others. Lay it down out of self-sacrificing love. Third, lay them down in loving care for other image bearers of God. Lay them down in loving care for others. Whether it's forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it in your life, forgive them as Christ forgave you. Whether it's going out of your way to give to someone who is in need more than you, give to someone who is in need. Whether that's living with less than your neighbors around you, than your friend community around you, live on less as Christ lived 
emptying himself of his glory and honor on earth. Fourth, suffer in this world. It's okay to suffer. I will say this to all of my fellow millennials. It is okay to suffer. It is okay to lose. It is okay to go without. It is okay to be left behind. It is okay to be left out of the in crowd and to not keep up. It is okay to live with less. Suffer in this world. And fifth and final, receive his loving eternal presence as a reward for laying down our life in this earthly kingdom to receive his heavenly one. I truly believe that Peter attempts to correct Jesus out of his care for Jesus. I do believe that that's a part of it. Peter loves Jesus, and we see that evident throughout Scripture, that he doesn't want Jesus to suffer because he cares for him. But I also believe that it's self-serving for Peter, that he cares for himself, and that if Jesus suffers, Peter's going to suffer. If Jesus doesn't conquer these earthly powers, Peter's not going to have earthly glory and wealth. And I imagine the thought in this story, Jesus, I thought I was following you so I could get power. Jesus, I thought I was following you so my people could receive power. Jesus, I thought you were going to bring us wealth and prosperity. Jesus, I don't want to suffer. Jesus, I don't want to give away my power and trust my life into the hands of others. Trust my life into a God I can't see and touch in this world. Jesus, I don't want to die. And this is maybe the deepest cry of each of our hearts. I don't want to suffer through and lose my life. I don't want to close my eyes on this physical existence. I don't want to lose people that I love. And what Jesus assures us is to receive an eternal glory, to receive an eternal destiny and family, is to accept the physical suffering of this world, to accept that in our flesh we will die, to accept that in our flesh we will suffer and grow old and get sick and have diseases, to accept that in this world we will live with less because of a self-sacrificing system that Jesus has modeled. But Paul, an early church writer and planter, encourages us with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says this about suffering. For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. This is a eternal kingdom mindset. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. We see King Jesus embrace eternal suffering. He only lived 33 years on this earth. He only did three active years of ministry. He didn't own possessions. He didn't have a home to lay his head. He didn't have his own wealth and authority. He had heavenly authority in his heart and his soul, and he laid it down through suffering, the ultimate suffering of what they knew at the time, suffering through death on a Roman cross, exposed and ashamed and suffering in order to bring eternal glory for those that he loves, for you and I. Can we walk through our own version of self-denial and laying down our life for the love of Christ and the love of those people he has given us as his image bearers? I want to walk you through, as we've been doing in this series, an immediate application of this teaching, a meditative exercise I've talked a lot and talked a lot of head knowledge about this passage. I want to give you a chance just to experience it 
and invite the Holy Spirit who's present and active all around this world and around us to speak into your heart and into your soul and to take this idea of self-denial, take the idea of a suffering King Jesus and invite the peace and joy and love that comes with that to enter into your heart. And we're going to do that as we've done in this series by reading, as the gospel writer gives us, the immediate teaching following this one. We're going to walk through it in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And what I'll ask you to do is wherever you are, get yourself comfortable, quiet yourself down, and get yourself ready in a place to invite God to speak to you as we read these words together. Mark chapter 8 verses 34 through 38. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, For the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? As we meditate in this moment, let's just invite these questions into our life. What are we willing to give up in order to receive the presence and loving grace of Jesus Christ? Where do you find yourself clinging to this earth, to this world, to your power in it? And where is God asking you to let go? trust him and trust his loving power and grace. As we see Jesus march his way to the cross, we see King Jesus trusting in the authority of his Father that in laying down his life, God the Father would give him the power to resurrect again. And we trust in that model and we trust in the character of Jesus that if we lay down our lives to him, he will have the loving authority to raise them up again in eternity and to raise up the good blessings of peace and joy and love in our lives in this world. Don't cling to the power of this world. Lay it down for Christ Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity too, if you're watching this today and you can say that you don't have with confidence a relationship with Jesus, that you're not confident in the eternity of your soul, of what happens when you die and leave this earth. I want to give you a chance just to take a first step of trusting Jesus and trusting his loving authority in your life. If you want, pray this with me today. Jesus, in this moment, I lay down my authority to you. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to know you as Savior and King and friend. And I want to receive your authority. 
Jesus, you laid down your power for me. You suffered and died on the cross in my place for my sin, for my shame. Today, Lord, I lay my life down to follow you, to learn from you, to meet with you. You gave your life for me. Today, I give my life to you. Will you guide me and be my king? In the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that for the first time today, we would love to celebrate with you and know that and resource you in this journey of knowing Jesus, King Jesus, as your Savior. You can do that by clicking one of the links around this video. We would love to get in touch with you. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG.